0: All right. So we, we are back. Um, okay. So the, the very first thing I want to say is thank you for, for taking time out of your busy schedule to meet with me. Um, I, I really appreciate also. that. and um, It's great when we can rely on, on expert voices to help guide us. Um, so for everybody listening, I am interviewing uh, Danny Britchall with the Welcome Institute. Um, And he is the digital uh, manager. Welcome
1: collection. I'm I'm
0: I'm sorry. Welcome collection. collection. I can't read and talk at the same time apparently. Thank you. Yes, welcome collection. Um, And so I'm going to go ahead and start off and let you uh, describe your position and what being a digital manager is all about.
1: Right. So at the moment, my job title is actually digital content manager. Um, mm-hmm. And to complicate matters further, um, I'm just finishing a year's secondment to do something different, um, but I'll tell you about my role as digital content manager, which is to manage um, a small team that's responsible for both functional and editorial content on the Welcome Collection site. So that is the team um, produces a kind of a, a weekly audience-focused schedule of editorial content that's um, essays, serials, short stories, research, know, stuff like that, um, aimed at a public audience, um, and also looks after the functional content um, of the website in a product-focused environment. So we have a digital engagement department, and there is, within that, there are five teams, um, one of which is a product experience team that we work closely with. So they do the design and the functionality um, of the site and we work on the content of the site.
0: Oh, very good. Um, so you seem to have, I, I would notice uh, doing a little bit of research on you, a very uh, big digital background. Um, so what did your past museum work look like? So how did you end up working uh, for the Welcome Collection? <laughs>
1: Well, that's interesting. So I suppose I've been working in cultural heritage or arts of one sort or another with digital content for, well, before there were kind of such sharp divisions between products and content, to be honest, for getting on for 20 years. So I was an institutional web manager in a university in the late 90s, um, and then I got a job as web manager at the British Film Institute. Um, in London and I've worked there from 99 to 2006 and then from 2006 to 2009 I worked for the Institute of Contemporary Arts which is a smallish but um, symbolically important uh, multidisciplinary arts centre um, in the centre of London and then since 2009 I've worked for Welcome Collection um, so really it's a kind of sort of path of institutional web management, but increasing specialization towards content. Um, So, um, yeah, so kind of sort of starting out when you can, you know, in an era when it wasn't thought that, uh, you know, any organization needed more than one person to look after their website to an era where you have an entire department looking after web services.
0: Definitely, um, and that is, is part of the focus of our class is how how the Internet and how digital presences are increasing for all sorts of different institutions. So mm-hmm. um, kind of basing off of that, what is what is your favorite thing at the moment um, about these institutions taking their presence online and, and really um, embracing through this new technology, or at least new to them?
1: Um, oh, God, that's a difficult question. So I, th- I think it's when they play an active right an active role in debate or discourse of some kind. So it's when museums are kind of present in, um, I suppose kind of sort of present in a discourse that happens on the internet so that they contribute something to it. So I kind of, I, you know, it's a, you know, I think in both the UK and um, the USA is quite a highly fraught and politicised environment at the moment. And I think probably possibly my favourite thing is when museums make interventions into that and use the power of their um, implicit authority and um, collections to to engage with that. And that can be at the kind of... Um, I suppose, kind of sort of immediately um, state, uh, I suppose, kind of formal political level. So um, I mm-hmm. think there's some really interesting things that museums of science have done during the Trump era um, mm-hmm. around kind of, you know, I, I suppose, kind of using, you know, looking to fact as a basis um, to defend the... Um, I suppose, to defend the protections... How can I put this better? Using using facts as a basis to act on climate change rather than remain um, ignorant and passive around climate change. I think that's been a really interesting development. Museums to um, uh, to things like intervening in debates about migration, um, and I think at the at the museum specific end to be able to kind of sort of think publicly um, and digitally about the. Um, the place of collections that came from other places and how they seek to interpret other people's cultures. Sorry, that's a really Did messy it? answer. But basically, but basically, all around discourse, not around kind of technology-specific, like, you know, experiential technology, but all, I think, the exciting things that museums are doing now online is around taking part um, in and contributing to um, quite difficult political debates.
0: Yeah, so making sure, like, their voice is heard, things like that. Yeah, very good. Um, thank you. Um, so moving along, along those lines, so when you represent the Welcome Collection, especially on social media, which a lot of institutions are doing now, um, what are the, the biggest challenges you face in, in sort of keeping a professional presence but also a lighthearted attitude or um, making sure that you're kind of
1: relational to all? Yeah, I kind of... So I think increasingly... So I suppose um, I'd recommend that um, everybody read Russell Dornan's Medium post on social media and the personality of a museum. So I think that's a really interesting post from um, someone who... um, from someone who's done that job and thinks about their you know and has then gone on to do that job for another museum and thinks about the relationship between themselves as a person and the museum that they kind of are that person for um Mm -hmm. social media i don't know i mean I think Twitter remains the most interesting again, because it's most based around conversation, but there's a real kind of um, performative aspect to it, and I think the museums kind of perform themselves on twitter and they kind of i think it's um quite acceptable um for them to be quite light-hearted, I think it's kind of mm-hmm. almost what's expected. I don't think that people um, are—I don't think that their audiences really want a kind of sort of you know a serious object of the day thing from them. They kind of do, you know as I mean to some extent from all brands they expect banter, um, mm-hmm. and museums increasingly give them banter. And I don't think that's—I don't think that's particularly kind of problematic. I think occasionally um, you come across territory that is kind of loaded with landmines. So about three or four weeks ago, um, we used the word Wimshin in a tweet, which was Um, W-O-M-X-N. And it's a kind of neologism used to be inclusive of, I suppose, different kinds of um, female experience. Um, And and we got laid into on Twitter um, about it. Um, by feminists, by transphobes, by all sorts of people um, because Mm -hmm. they didn't feel, you know, because they um, didn't feel that we should be talking about women in this way and we shouldn't be, Mm -hmm. usually we should be talking about women in a different way. Um, And we basically got absolutely destroyed by a kind of sort of torrent of kind of um, uh, abuse kind of laid out, some of which I'm still kind of i mean this wasn't at the moment this isn't my responsibility so i was kind of watching from afar and still quite angry about some of it because yeah. basically in the uk there's uh, there was a consultation going on around the gender recognition act um that closed about 2 weeks ago and so there was mm-hmm. a kind of sort of fever pitch of debate about it and we kind of accidentally walked into the firing line of that so it wasn't kind of about lightheartedness it was about a very serious mm-hmm. kind of um, Attempt at allyship and inclusiveness um, that turned into us um, getting roasted. So I think maybe the kind of the the kind of the biggest challenge is knowing the territory that you're working in. So As I said about mm-hmm. kind of you know contributing to debates. If you contribute to debates in the wrong way, it can quickly turn quite unpleasant.
0: Oh, of course. Yeah, even even unintentionally, and
1: you know, mm-hmm. digitally
0: and online, you always everybody has to be. You know, so careful, but you, you want to be able to yep. participate in that con- yeah. conversation yeah. as well. So it it can be a minefield, yeah. definitely. Yeah. Um. So thank you. Yes, great answer. Um. So, the Welcome Collection. I discovered uh, here. My first connection with it was on a, a, a gaming website called Congregate. And it, it hosts all uh-huh. these different flash games. And so when I when I got this opportunity to speak to you, I was very excited. It's high IT. key it's one of my favorite games. I'm terrible at it. Oh,
1: thank you. Um, thank you. Me do you know the secret? Me too.
0: Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's crazy. It's, it's such an interesting uh, marriage of history and, uh, you know, these flash games. Um, so when you guys create these sorts of flash games, what's, what's the decision-making process look like for that t- type of project? Like um, who, whose decision or idea was it to say, let's, let's make this game about um, the sale of opium and tea?
1: so it was it was as an exhibition project so as an institution welcome Mm -hmm. collection is quite a small museum we have two um, we have two permanent galleries and at the time we had one temporary gallery Um, and we have quite high profile thematic exhibitions and um, the uh, we were doing an exhibition called High Society which was basically a survey of the history um, of recreational drug use culture so kind Mm -hmm. of across centuries across continents, like how people have used intoxicants and consciousness-altering substances to, um, um, to um, you know, change their, change, the, change their states of consciousness. Um, as part of this, we had an opportunity and a small amount of budget to, um, relatively small amount of budget compared to the exhibition, quite a large amount of budget for us digitally at the time. We had an opportunity to um, commission a game to go with the exhibition. Um, and what we wanted it to do, we wanted the exi- we wanted the game to, um, I suppose, kind of be interactive in the way that an exhibition was. We wanted the game to do the work of, th- we wanted the game to do the same kind of work as the exhibition. So we didn't want it to promote the exhibition. We didn't want it to be educational. We wanted it to be a kind of engaging, thought-provoking experience in the same way as an exhibition is um which was you know i mean this is kind of some years ago now i think at the time was kind of where Mm -hmm. a few but not all museums were out there were a few few stateside museums and the science museum here um and a couple of tv channels that had kind of were thinking about games in these terms so they wanted games that did the work of the museum um uh, so we worked with you know, so we, we kind of got an agreement to do it between I suppose kind of sort of the, the um I suppose our line management within the museum. Um, and we worked with an agency and with the curator of the exhibition to come up with a game concept which we then got signed off and then put into um put into development and were able to launch it around the same time that the exhibition opened. Um it was played that that particular game was kind of massively popular it's been played millions of times around the world and in a way Mm -hmm. it was kind of um it was almost too much of a success for us in that we kind of we didn't really you know we we understood the implications of x number of people coming through the door of a museum Mm -hmm. we sort of like understood what that engagement experience was when we went back and said oh (laughs) is that a game we made well kind of two million people have played it around the world it was kind of sort Mm -hmm. of slightly hard to compute that both on the like the the scale of its reach and on the meaning of playing a game and that's kind of there's probably an underlying um, um, I suppose assumption that kind of reading Mm. text is educational and playing a game isn't and so we had an average dwell time on our site at the time of around two minutes and the average time spent playing the game according to the analytics we had was about ten minutes so we are like yeah, people spending five times as much time playing a game as looking at our website but there probably wasn't generally accepted, it probably wasn't generally accepted that 10 minutes of kind of playing a game was meaningful engagement in the same way as we understood other forms of engagement. Um, So we made some more games. one more was also very successful, a game that we made called Axon, um, which was oh, I love an exhibition Axon. that we had mm-hmm. on the material culture of the game. We made one more, which I'm going to say was kind of sort of conceptually, I think, the kind of the peak of our commissioning. And it was always, it was always a commission and a collaboration with a games making agency. So it was a kind of, we mm-hmm. never had this skill in house. So we kind of, in some ways, we were kind of outsourcing a lot of the creative aspect of it. Um, we made a game called Who's the Pest, which was a, um, what do we describe it as? An eat em up cabbage defence puzzler. So it was quite yeah. conceptually complicated, very interesting game, in which you kind of played the same level twice. Um, uh, once from the point of view of a human being trying to stop ants eating your food, and once from the point of view of ants trying to eat food. Um, <laughs> and it was supposed to kind of be, um, I suppose, a kind of a... a, a so trying to be like a, um, you know, make you think about the relationships between humans, insects and agriculture in a quite a kind of, um, quite a, um, oh, what's the word? I mean, kind of to, to, to feel that rather than just think about it. We had to stop the developers putting in natural history facts as we say. and like it's not about learning about insects, it's about thinking about the situation. Um, that mm-hmm. wasn't quite so successful. Um, although we put it out to a number of different platforms. So it's probably so we did it cross-platform, went to iOS, um, but it just didn't reach that same kind of audience. So we did a little bit of analysis and reflection and evaluation. But in the meantime, that kind of flash games market, which it was quite easy to make free products for. So it was quite easy in a congregate context to kind of release a free game and get quite a lot of plays, especially if you were releasing a high-quality free game. Because um, it would sure. get good reviews, it would float to the top, there was a kind of internal merit-based system that would get you an audience. And that market was uh, you know, more or less replaced by the mobile gaming market, which was just mm-hmm. a lot harder um, to get into. So both there was kind of high development overhead. Um, because mm-hmm. um, developing and testing for iOS was kind of more expensive, basically, than developing and testing for Flash, um, and also splitting in the mobile market. So, if you do iOS, you still only have kind of half of the you know potential things. So, you'd have to find a platform to develop for iOS and Android, and then you just multiply your testing So, it became more ex- much more expensive to develop for a mobile platform. Those mm-hmm. mobile platforms were much more tightly controlled and curated um, by you know, um, Apple, Um, and there was also a kind of a glut of free games or freemium games, um, which were Mm -hmm. either advertising supported or had in-app purchases. Um, Boys in general had kind of quite high-quality playing experiences um, for no initial outlay. Um, and so we found ourselves in this kind of, kind of much different kind of sort of gaming market, which we've never really re-cracked for that kind of casual puzzle game experience. Um, much to my regret, because um, <laughs> I thought it was a really interesting area of practice um, for museums. And we've done a few things. We've done a few things since. Um, we experimented with um, interactive fiction. We did some commissions with a tool mm-hmm. called Twine. Um, but mm-hmm. apart from that, the kind of sort of the gaming has slipped away from us a little.
0: Well, I hope someday that you guys can can find your way back because um axon I haven't had the chance to play the past one, but axon and T are um are really great, and I love the fact thank with you. Axon that they linked you to the actual neurons and and what they they yeah. did and so i I was learning a lot, and I don't know anything about mm-hmm. that um I was just there to waste some time you know before my shift started at work, and <laughs> it was great, so I enjoyed oh, it hopefully you. you'll get back there um okay. So, keeping on the the game vein, um, I was looking through your blog that you did, um, and mm-hmm. I like really liked your post called uh, "Gaming the Suffragettes," um, mm-hmm. which is is very near and dear to my heart because we just voted a couple days ago um, oh, in in one of our course. midterm elections. So, um, I you know I'm very thankful that I have that opportunity because of the, what the suffragettes were able to accomplish. But uh, in the, yeah. the blog, you mentioned that this type of Subject matter can be a little too difficult to create in, in standalone video games. Mm. Um, mm-hmm. So, and I, I think I, I agree with that statement. But do you think that teaming up with established video games and, and maybe the form of like downloadable content is a way to address this issue?
1: Um, that's a really interesting. Um, that's a really interesting question. So, um, let me have a look. Um, I'm gonna. I'm just gonna look something up. Oh, yeah,
0: no, while well, you're pulling um, it up, like, right, my idea okay. was, like, an assassin's creed having, you know, being able to interact with, like, the suffragettes, or um, do you yeah. think that that waters down the subject area at all?
1: Not necessarily at all. So the Wellcome Collection is part of a much larger organisation called Wellcome Trust, which is a, mm-hmm. like a huge biomedical charity that funds lots of research and lots of other kinds of science engagement. And one of the things that the Wellcome Trust does is consistently try to engage with um, the makers of AAA Um, video games in order Mm -hmm. to get some scientific content or kind of experience into the game Um, and they did a project with, um, I'm just going to look it up because I'm fired. so um, Ninja Theory did a Mm -hmm. game in, oh it was only last year, called Hellblade Senua's Sacrifice Um, and there was a psychosis um, uh, storyline. Um, in that the game was always supposed to be taking place in the protagonist's mind Um, Mm. but um, she had mental health problems Um, and so kind of injecting a credible um, description, experience kind of reflection or psychosis into the game was the role that the welcome trust played in collaboration with the games makers in order to kind of get so to so to work with research scientists who understood it to kind of i suppose accurately get that stuff across um to accurately get some you know something that touches on psychosis but doesn't stereotype or misinform people um it's quite a, mm-hmm. quite a um uh you know an important thing also so yes Having suffrage, having suffragettes in the status group would be would be a good thing. Although I don't know if you've seen the um, uh, stories about Red Dead Redemption.
0: I, you know, I've just started seeing those. I haven't had a big chance to look. Um, they they look pretty interesting. I know there was one suffragette um, scenario, or there was one in there in a barbershop shop or something, right? Or uh,
1: hang on a second, right? Let me see. Is it is it Red Dead Redemption? Is the new. Yeah, Red Dead Red Red yeah. Redemption Two has just come out, um, mm-hmm. and there are suffragettes in it, um, mm-hmm. and there's a storyline with suffragettes in it. But there's also some lone suffragettes that the players can just beat up. And YouTube just had to take down a bunch of um, uh, just had to take down a bunch of YouTube videos of
0: yes, players who I made, made movies article. of
1: themselves mm-hmm. being, which is just like abhorrent. Yeah. yeah. so there is a sense in which you kind of given given what triple A platform Triple A gaming is and the people who play it, so kind of mm-hmm. you sort of have to um I suppose you have to sort of think carefully about how you enter that space. So yeah, Certainly. if you put suffragettes in a triple A game, it could just yeah. become like really horrible. Mm-hmm. Um uh, so i don't know I know that this is where the kind of sort of um kind of goes outside my area of expertise and understanding of kind of 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 gameplay. The stuff that we did was always very kind of small scale casual based around a kind of sort of a you know a personal engagement. I think there's tons of possibilities to be explored in gaming um of which we've only really scratched the surface
0: definitely um yeah, I agree I, my Biggest uh, exposure to historical video games would, would be like the Assassin's Creed franchise, and it's it's so funny. You spend so much time in this world, and I ended up watching a documentary on, on television, and I realized I had stood on all of the buildings in Italy that they were showing. I, I knew the route, oh, wow. and I've never even been oh. there, so I'm um, I'm really oh, uh, intrigued amazing. and appreciative of stuff like right. that. So it was, it was very cool.
1: There is a um, there is a really good blog. I don't know if you've come across it. It's called Play the Past, um, which is a collaborative blog by a number of people working in kind of video games and heritage, and it's really good about games on kind of all levels. So I kind of I've read. Yeah, I recommend reading that for as was thinking deeper about the relationship between games and history and heritage. Definitely, I'm going to check that out. Thank you. Okay.
0: Um. So, yeah, that's that's fantastic. Uh, So, kind of going along with more of this online stuff, um, I really enjoy all the digital stories on the Welcome Collection, Mm -hmm. especially uh, Mm -hmm. Minecraft. I thought that was Mm -hmm. was fantastic. Um, Is that something you guys are looking to do more of, going into, like, the digital stories? it was a great way for me to interact with the wealth-owned collection because I'm Mm -hmm. here in Chicago and I can't really get there on a daily basis. But is there there plans to (laughs) incorporate more?
1: pure laziness I'm sure you could yeah pure laziness
0: (laughs) I could jump my my little boat and go over but yeah (laughs)
1: um the so in a way we are still doing it so the digital stories (laughs) project was very it we were very happy with the kind of the output of it very kind of sort of lush quite a sort of flagship thing um um what was I trying to say it was quite an expensive and also quite an internally tortuous um project Mm -hmm. and i won't go into that but when we did an evaluation of it um there were a couple of things that we realized from kind of sort of you know um post hoc user testing and analysis of what we'd done um and one was that we were trying to divide people's attention too much so we've written Mm -hmm. these kind of you know nice synoptic narratives telling stories and stuff like that um but then we had um but then we had um, put a load of library resources in a way, so we'd written a really nice mm-hmm. kind of sort of summary of um, in a really nice kind of summary of you know Anton Mesmer's thought, um, and then said, now you can read 400-page original Anton Mesmer's book, and these are just two completely different kind of tasks. You can't stop Definitely. in the middle of a kind of 6,000 thing, 6,000-word 6, story to read a 400-page book it's a bit like okay well what were we what were we trying to do were we trying to tell stories or were we trying to create a honeypot um Mm -hmm. for um were we trying to create a honeypot for resources or kind of well you've got to pick one or the other really so and the other thing was that there was no returnability to them. So we published a six-part story all in one go. Yeah? And mm-hmm. we were like, okay, well, hey, <laughs> we've done this. We've launched it in the world. And people will visit it, but it's really hard to keep promoting the same thing. Yeah? Um, mm-hmm. So what we've got now is a thing that we now at the moment call serials. Um, and they're very like digital stories. Some of them are written by the same people, um, or at least mm-hmm. one of the same people. Um, and they are... Um, they are six part stories so they have the same structure um, they're about the same length they're less immersive and they come out once a week Yeah, so over a six week mm-hmm. period um, every week we wrote, dispatch a kind of new episode and try to get people's attention kind of hooked in, a, in an episodic way um, and it's quite interesting epi- episodicness there's a conference now in london called episodic um, that explores like the culture of serial things like podcasts and comics and tv mm-hmm. shows and vlogging and stuff like that which is like in itself really interesting and i think you know museums, could be, museums aren't really episodic institutions in and of themselves mm-hmm. um, they're kind of usually static buildings with things that change Um, from one very different thing to another different thing so kind of certainly in terms of exhibitions um, seriality isn't really a native museum thing Um, but we were you know I think we found that the kind of the episodicness of those works better so less kind of flashily immersive and more kind of subtly persuasive works for us that's
0: very interesting yeah I'll have to look some more of those those serials up that's really cool Um, so, and it is interesting the the fact how this, you know, people are so now used to to more, you know, quote unquote, binge watching all sorts of Mm -hmm. stuff instead of watching one at a Mm -hmm. time. Um, so it is, I think it is definitely affecting the culture, like how Facebook has, um, affected the way we read our news, you know, we can only read three lines at a time now instead of large articles. So it'll be interesting to see how that keeps changing. Yeah. Um, so... Are there any digital or social media arenas where you think museums are underrepresented? Um, Right now, we do see a lot more museums going on to Twitter and things like that, but is there anything more they could be doing, do you think?
1: Um, so the thing that we're doing that we think not many other people are doing is editorial content so we're kind of publishing Mm -hmm. stories um, almost like a small magazine Um, I think that's quite that's something I think science museums tend and we're kind of on the cusp we're a very strange kind of hybrid creature between Mm -hmm. science, art and history I think science museums are quite good at producing editorial content because they have um, current narratives of science to latch on to um mm-hmm. so stuff like that. everything I mean the kind of uh, museums as media producers is an interesting one Whether whether museums are native producers of podcasts um videos uh um and um editorial content in other contexts than marketing so there tends to be i think what Mm -hmm. kind of muddies the the waters a little bit is there's lots of what they call content marketing around at the moment which is you create new content to market old content that you have it's a bit like Mm -hmm. which for me is always when you talk to a marketing agency is you know i'm like no let's market let's let's do good stuff and then market it let's not create bad stuff to market good stuff um So I think museums could probably sort of stretch themselves a bit more in producing kind of substantive media as well as kind of engaging on social media. Um, I think VR and AR kind of continue to be interesting, but I've yet to see the kind of the killer application. They're very kind of, they're more, those are more kind of event-based than kind of internet-based as as it were. Um, mm-hmm. Scott Keir, um, who's just left S F MoMA did a really interesting presentation at Museums Computer Network last year about different modes of VR um in the gallery. And I think that's probably probably few museums have kind of really gras- in in other than a kind of like um attraction sense I think have really got a killer use of VR or AR yet. Um mm-hmm. and apart from that, yeah, I don't know. I don't I don't think I don't think anybody's kind of. I don't think there's anything that museums really miss because museums tend to be quite outward-looking, inquisitive places mm-hmm. who are doing lots of fascinating stuff.
0: Oh, definitely, I, I agree. I mean, he, some of these institutions—you look on their Instagrams—and it's just breathtakingly beautiful. Um, the Field Museum here in Chicago has an entire uh, Twitter feed dedicated to Sue, the, the T-Rex that they have. Oh God, yeah, oh, famous I, for I, and she's I, hilarious.
1: Yeah, I love that. Do you know, I love even more those ones that aren't authorised by the museum. There mm-hmm. was a, um, There's a museum in South East London called the Horniman, and they had someone pretending to be their taxidermied walrus, and it was hysterical. Oh, no. And it's partly because it was just like riffing on other stuff than um, it was just <laughs> riffing on other stuff than what was in the museum. So it was kind of quite fun. So I, I really like it when people choose to adopt the personality of a museum object, <laughs> like mm-hmm. off their own it's- bat.
0: It's funny. I mean, yeah, that's it's yeah. fantastic. I love it. And it's great too when they try yeah. and engage, you know, museums and and other. We had a lot yeah. of that going on with uh, some of the baseball world series where museums yeah. from each city were were starting to try and, you know, trash talk in, in a life art But yeah. kind of. So it's, yeah. it's, always, it's funny when they when they get yeah. going.
1: <laughs> yeah. no, 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 I um yeah. um I'm a I'm a big fan of Sue the T-Rex as well though, cuz mm-hmm. um I think she can kind of go off. or actually, there are they, aren't they? See the T Rex. Yeah, they. Are, sorry, um, that was my
0: mistake.
1: There are they. Yeah. There, there. No, those are There are they. Them. Um, mm-hmm. uh, but I think they can go off the hook a little bit more than the museum mm-hmm. can, um, and not just in a light-hearted way, but in a provocative Certainly. way as well. So.
0: Certainly. Yeah, and that. You know, do you think that's just because they don't necessarily have the the name? You know, it's not the museum's yeah. museum yeah. feed. Somewhat yeah. removed. Mm-hmm. Yeah, interesting. It's great. I I love I love watching seeing all the social media how how institutions plan on using that is, is really creative and yeah. I think it, it creates more of a personal connection too for, for yeah. people. Um, so we came down to the last couple questions here. So um, mm-hmm. one of the ones that I was interested in asking was. Uh, have you ever worked on a uh, project that didn't go necessarily as planned and, and were you able to save it?
1: I'm going to say that's a real job interview question. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and I'm going to give you a really trite answer, which is I've never done a project that went as planned because no project ever does go as planned. Um, <laughs> and what makes good projects is... <laughs> like, What makes good projects is... Um, uh, what makes good projects is allowing for the unplanned to happen. Mm-hmm. Um, that's the try answer. The real answer is that digital stories was a real um, pig <laughs> of a project, and if I've got any advice on that, it was don't involve too many stakeholders or creative partners. Uh-huh. Yeah, that's uh, good advice. Too, too, many, too many people. Too many people with creative with a creative vision. Absolute mm-hmm. kind of um, clash nightmare. Oh no. <laughs>
0: Well, that is, that is good. I'm going to keep that in my back pocket for the future. That's, that's definitely great. I tip advice, but so thank you. <laughs> um, so what what would you, if you had, well, I'm sure you have a lot of latitude, but if you had complete range and um, budget wasn't an issue, what was what would be your dream
1: project for the Welcome Collection? Oh God, I can't see that. Really, I can tell you, I don't have dream projects. I have pet projects, mm-hmm. and my pet project at the moment would be to do a Cards Against Humanity-style tabletop oh, game no. using <laughs> our collections objects. Using our collections objects as the cards. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So to do something that wasn't just a set of cards, going, Oh look, here's this object. Oh look, here's that object. But to do sure. something that links the mechanism of the play with the meaning of our museum. So if you could come okay. up with something that was about kind of fixing bodies or understanding medical history or understanding sure. the meaning of health, but use kind of, you know, 40 to 60 museum objects to be the iconic um, representations of those things, um, I, would, I would love to do that. Um, and I think there's a really interesting kind of hybrid form there where you can do mm-hmm. the giveaway version um, a giveaway version for um, free online, so you can kind of give sure. people PDFs that they can chop up and play it and then uh, do a like packaged version mm-hmm. as, um, as, um, as merchandise. Um, I think it's like a really good kind of sort of hybrid digital physical project and I would love to do oh, that, definitely. but that's not, a, that's not a kind of like multi-million dollar dream project, that's a yep. pet project.
0: Hey, well, when that's completed, I will definitely be downloading that PDF. So thank you. Thanks for the I heads up. you'll on be the first ordering to know.
1: the printed version as well. Oh,
0: definitely. We'll, we'll bond the to, to America, certainly. Okay. As long as you
1: we, get to we, we would definitely be shipped to the States.
0: Oh, very good. Yeah, I would love it. That's fantastic. Um. So what's, what's one thing, when you first started working for cultural institutions, what's one thing that you wish that, that you knew if you could go back in time and let yourself know? What What's one tip oh, of God. advice that you'd give yourself? <laughs>
1: oh, that's, I don't know. There's so many things. I've been looking at this question today. <laughs> so quite, like, I've sort of figured out answers <laughs> to all of your questions apart from now. Mm-hmm. What do I wish on you? Just um... stick it out maybe? <laughs> Keep going. stick it out. What do I wish I knew? The kind of... Ah, I can't. What do do I wish I knew about? I mean, there's loads of things I wish I knew about this workplace. Mm -hmm. Um, Maybe that you don't always have to stick to the role that you're given. Yeah. Maybe that it's possible to to kind of do other things from the slot that you're in. I think probably more people thought like that in museums, you know. It would be, it's not really about silos. It's more about being a kind of digital person versus an exhibition person versus a, you know, a production person versus an ideas person. And I think probably that, you know, that it's possible to hop between those things.
0: Well, that's good. That's 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 a really good answer. Thank you. Mm hmm um, okay, final question, and this is something. Whenever I've, I've had interview a couple people in the course of my career at Johns Hopkins, so this is one I like to ask everyone. So, if you couldn't be the mm-hmm. the, the digital content manager of the Welcome Collection, is there another position uh, within within uh, the collection that you'd like to try?
1: Yeah, right now, right now, I'd like to be an exhibition curator. I've just curated an exhibition in Los Angeles, and I would like to curate another exhibition.
0: Oh, that's cool.
1: <laughs> that's fantastic. Right very simple answer
0: yeah no no that works um that that works it's it's always intriguing to me the the kinds of things people i've gotten ones that i i wouldn't want anything else and ones mm-hmm. that you know all sorts of different answers so thank you for that that's for me mm-hmm. personally i appreciate that well uh that was <laughs> all the questions that i had for you um i really appreciate you taking the time again to, to speak with no, me and the give me so. great honest answers um You've given me a lot to think about and a lot to keep in the back pocket as I continue on and start my museum career.
1: So thank you so much. Very with which with which very very good luck. Um, oh, so thank good you luck so with, much. Um, good luck with the studies and good luck. Yeah, let me know let me know cool. where you end up.
0: Oh, very good. Well will do. Thank you so much, and okay. have a wonderful rest right. of your day.
1: Have a great weekend. Take care. You as well.
0: Thanks. You very too. Very Bye, bye-bye. Bye.
1: Bye. Bye.